it ticks every single box what you want from a signing, you know, as a football fan. I mean, there's the emotional side to it. There's these, there's the kind of wonder kid side to it. And then there's the necessity side to it as well. I always felt City were one short in the front three positions last season. It is being very critical, that from me. At the same time, you could say I'd rather have one winger less than no strikers. Right now, Calvin Phillips is... He's, he's much better than Fernandinho was for the last two years and simply because he has a leg still and I think he's probably a lot more similar to Fernandinho than Rodri was as well you know he's got that energy he will run and run and run He scored as many goals and registered as many assists as Joel Matip last season which obviously isn't ideal for someone that you spent £100 million on I said it numerous times last season it did feel a bit of a shame that the handbrake was on Grealish This kind of crafted in a laboratory kind of style striker six foot five-ish Olympic sprinter speed um, absolutely clinical there's no person in world football who's capable of shutting down one side of the pitch better than Kyle Walker literally I mean I've never seen Kylian Mbappe not challenge someone to a foot race before Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. We've already previewed Liverpool and Spurs. Go back and check out those podcasts if you haven't done so already. And this week, we're going to check out Manchester City. I'm delighted to welcome Stephen McInerney from Esteemed Company to talk all things City heading into the new season. Josh is with me as ever as well. Stephen, busy summer for Man City. Busy summer. Very busy summer, mate. Um, Yeah, actually, I am. um... I'm that kind of football fan who likes a lot of change. Um, not because I think we needed it, just because it's exciting. You know, um, football at the end of the day is entertainment, isn't it? You know, and like as long as we're not like demonstrably harming the first team, and that's obviously up to debate, I guess. Um, largely, I don't mind a bit of change because I think it's necessary. I also think it's fun. You know, when you've got all those players coming in with what they offer, um, it's hard not to be excited by, I guess, the shock of the new and seeing new players and new ideas because we are going to have to change how we play, which I'm sure we'll get into today anyway. So. Yeah, I'm dead excited. I'm even excited for pre-season, which says everything, really. Yeah, well, we'll get straight into it. We'll go straight in, starting with the transfer window assessment. Now, Josh, as I always start this podcast by reminding people, you are a Manchester United fan. But Stephen makes a valid point there about the refresh, because that's what Sir Alex Ferguson used to do. He used to every now and again completely refresh the squad, whatever had happened the season before. And Manchester City are reigning champions. And they've made some changes. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to knock City when they've won back-to-back league titles. And in both of those seasons, they were the top goal scorers. Um, and obviously largely done that without a recognised centre forward. And now they've obviously added Erling Haaland to the mix, who's probably the most destructive number nine available. Um, so that is quite daunting for the rest of the league, especially for the red side of Manchester. Um, but yeah, I've often found watching Manchester I don't think you need to worry that... about the title, Josh. <laughs> One can hope <laughs> after the pre-season results. But yeah. Um, yeah, I often found watching City, especially in games against Liverpool, I always felt that City needed like three chances before they scored a goal, whereas Liverpool, were, I always felt, were quite ruthless when they got that opportunity. And I think now that completely changes with Erling Haaland. Um, he scored a league goal every 88 minutes over the last two seasons, which ranks second behind Robert Lewandowski. So that tells you the sort of calibre they're signing. His conversion rate in that time was 28%, um, which ranks right up at the top of all of Europe's best strikers as well. Um, so as I mentioned, City didn't really have, well at times didn't seem to have that ruthlessness in front of goal um, and now obviously they've got Erling Haaland who will just certainly do that and yeah, not looking forward to watching that on a weekly basis to be honest. 
it ticks every single box what you want from a signing you know as a football fan I mean there's the emotional side to it there's these is the kind of wonder kid side to it and then there's the necessity side to it as well I mean City fans we've had it good so I am definitely not going to sit here and complain but we have been waiting for a striker since Aguero and I don't honestly if I'd sat there and tried to create the perfect replacement uh, I probably would have come up with Holland, a guy who's been in City since he was a baby you know literally he's, he's, his dad and him they love this club and that's not an exaggeration he's He's been following them since he was a kid because obviously his dad captain Man City at one point. Um, and of course, the fact that he, he still is very young. It's crazy, you know, that he feels like he's been around for ages, but he's only 21 years old, I think, maybe 22 soon. But either way, he's still a baby in football terms. And um, and he's also like this kind of crafted in a laboratory kind of style striker, six foot five-ish Olympic sprinter speed, um, absolutely clinical. Uh, clearly, an immense desire to uh, improve as well and succeed at the very highest level. It's just incredibly exciting. And even then, you know, it wasn't even like an insane fee either. You know, obviously, it's not cheap when he had all the bonuses and all that kind of to it, but it was very affordable given the fact that we're replacing Aguero, you know. Um, so, for me as a City fan, I mean, it's just, it, yeah, it's so exciting. Like, when we were linked to Kane, for example, I wasn't that excited, even though he was brilliant mainly because it was just everyone knows Harry Kane and football you know it's there, there was no mystery there and that element of mystery is not really something that you get to see up when you support a club like Man City these days you know because City are one of the best teams in the world now so we tend to sign players that most people have heard of and whatever and or they've seen an awful lot of like we've seen a lot of Haaland but not to the extent that we saw of Kane or something so Haaland is still very much making his way into the world football so for me it's, it's exciting because he's at the start of his career. It's exciting because he's a, he's a City fan. And it's exciting because we need him. We need a striker. As you were saying earlier, man, we, we do... We, as good as City are, we we have been uh, maybe lacking a little bit of clinicalism. Uh, is that, that's even a word I know it is. <laughs> but in, in big we'll games, you know... We'll use it, yeah. That's a, that's one on huge.com now. It's just one of your stats. Uh, <laughs> but we've been lacking that in games against like Madrid, for example, in the Champions League. Though that should have been... Five or six two in the first leg, you know, and that's not an exaggeration. We missed tons of chances, and against Liverpool, for example, where we drew two all this season in the league, those games City probably should have won them if they had someone to take the chances. So I'm hoping that Haaland is the guy essentially to fix that to make a very good team, one excellent team, maybe even just a little bit better. Stephen just touched on Harry Kane a little bit there. Harry Kane probably suits the way Manchester City have applied yeah. on on the face of it when when you look at it, Josh, but. You know Pep, he'll adapt, he'll do something different. And I think there is scope that Holland will score a lot of goals. But do you think they'll be happier to get him, obviously because of the age and all the stuff that Stephen's mentioned? Absolutely. I think it's definitely one for now and also one for the future. I think Haaland's, we don't, like, Haaland's ceiling already is outrageous and we don't know how far he can still go. He's scoring, I think he finished his time with Dortmund scoring basically a goal a game, which is just absolutely outrageous for someone like Stephen mentions, 21, maybe 22. Um, he's done it on the Champions League. I think he scored uh, at least one goal in all of his competitive debuts for, for Dortmund, maybe a hat-trick on his Bundesliga debut, um, a couple or at least a hat-trick on his Champions League debut for, for Dortmund. So I think Man City have got West Ham in their first game of the season, so that's probably quite daunting for West Ham. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. So obviously last season, Kevin De Bruyne scored more goals than he registered assists um, for the first time in a Premier League season. Um, and you'd expect that to revert back to the other way. Now they've got a natural goal scorer and the prospect of Kevin De Bruyne and Riyad Mahrez linking up with Holland, he should have so many chances. 
Um, and City missed their fair, fair few of their clear-cut chances last season. But with Haaland, you just feel like he's just going to hit the ball as hard as he can. And it's going to end up in the back of the net no matter what happens. Yeah, Calvin Phillips is through the door as well, Steve. And Fernandinho's replacement... How do you feel about that move? I think it's a really smart signing, actually. And I know, obviously, it, it seems a little bit churlish to talk about you know 40-ish million being a bargain because it's a lot of money. It is. Um, but I guess when City were linked to him, I thought we were going to be looking at you know about 60, which seems to be the going rate for a lot yeah. of players City linked to these days. And um, for 40 million, um, I guess, I think it's, yeah, I think it could be a very, really smart signing. And I think uh, people... Uh, presuming he's just going to be the Rodri swap in and out kind of thing. But I, I would be surprised if you see him often alongside Rodri as well, because um, at times, I think Bernardo's game was not spoiled as such, but he was definitely asked to do things that didn't necessarily come to him because Bernardo has that you know that energy and that dynamism to get around the pitch. So he was the perfect foil alongside Rodri, who as brilliant as he is, maybe doesn't have the dynamism or the you know the engine to get around the pitch. So I always felt like Bernardo sacrificed a little bit of his attacking game just so he could help Rodri, obviously then freeing up someone like you know De Bruyne to be a little bit more explosive. But don't be surprised, in my opinion, to see Calvin Phillips often sat alongside Rodri, especially in the big games, you know, when we're especially once again maybe against in a situation where we've got Real Madrid and we've got you know a few minutes left just to kill the game and keep the ball you know and maybe a bit more of a defensive shield um, so I think Phillips would be really useful and he is an improvement on the squad because you know as much as I love Fernandinho he was old you know he uh, he sadly reached his peak a couple of years ago and right now Calvin Phillips is He's, he's much better than Fernandinho was for the last two years and simply because he has the legs still and I think he's probably a lot more similar to Fernandinho than Rodri was as well you know he's got that energy he will run and run and run and what I love about Phillips is when I was doing some research for my own videos is he seems to have got better every single year in terms of things like his pass completion and his overall game has improved but then what's been asked for him has got more difficult as well. He's gone up the levels, you know, from the Championship, of course, to the Premier League, and then to the, you know, really far stages of international competitions of England. And I think he's a really smart player who's um, who's going to give Pep lo- loads of options. Um, I think he'll obviously allow people like Rodri to get a rest every now and then. I think he'll allow like people like Bernardo to maybe be a little bit further off the pitch where, you know, many would say he's better. Um I think it's yeah. I think it's a good sign, and as I said, it's a little bit cheaper than I thought it was going to be. It's not cheap, of course, but look what forty million gets you these days. It doesn't, you know, it's it's most teams in the Premier League end up spending near you know around that, even if they're in the top ten or whatever. So, yeah, for me. It's a good signing. It improves our squad. Um, and I think it's probably going to improve England as well, which is a, is a good thing for any international fans. Lonely yeah. guy Farhan has asked us a question. Sorry that you're lonely. He's asked Josh, you know, would you prefer a double pivot so De Bruyne has a free role in transition? And I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think, as Stephen said, it's, I think it's a really smart signing because I think it gives Pep Guardiola much more flexibility in midfield. He can obviously... I think one of the problems last season was that Rodri started 33 of their 38 league games. And I think in an ideal world, Guardiola would like to have given him a rest some, sometimes. Rodri was obviously one of, arguably one of the best players in the Premier League last season. But I think to play 33 of 38 games is probably quite a lot. Um, and whenever Fernandinho did play, we, it, there was obviously a drop-off because he just hasn't got the mobility anymore that he used to have. And sometimes Guardiola even paired them both together just because maybe he just didn't feel he had this, the same level of trust in Fernandinho as he did in the past. Um and obviously, as a double pivot, Fernandinho and Rodri isn't ideal. They sort of both do the same sort of thing at that at this stage of Fernandinho's career anyway. Um, but with Phillips, he can either come in and give Rodri a rest. It'll be a slightly different profile of midfielder, but he can still do that. But as Stephen said, he can play alongside him and that just gives him so much more flexibility. And as 
you you said Dan, Kevin De Bruyne will be freed up in that that respect, and he'll be able to focus on really building that relationship with Haaland and and trying to get City scoring even more goals, which is frightening. They scored 99 last season, which was the most in Europe. Um, and now that they could potentially have De Bruyne and Haaland just in pure attacking mode, which is a, a scary... I love it, mate. I love it. Yeah, there's so plenty of reasons to be excited. Yeah, really, really. And really. I understand fans of other teams won't be excited by it, but from a purely football perspective, you know, given what Kevin De Bruyne can do and Haaland can do, it's fascinating. You know, it's just, I'd, be, I'd be slightly, I'd be terrified, but slightly curious, even if it wasn't a City fan, because, yeah. you know, as you, as you were saying earlier, De Bruyne's game is, last season, he's like, I'm going to score the goals because no one else, well, everyone else was doing it, but not to the extent that he wanted. But he's got to go back to just whipping those crosses in. The amount of time City put the, um, put the ball, you know, to the back post and someone just misses it because Phil Foden's five foot seven. He's literally got about eight eight, nine inches on him, you know, and he's obviously got a better understanding of where to be because he reads the game better and he's faster than, you know, people like Foden and Bernardo who play in the false nine as well. So he's going to get onto the end of so many of those little crosses that just go across, you know, the, what was it called? The, the corridor of uncertainty, whatever the cliche was, oh, yeah. that kind of thing. But that's, that's where he thrives, you know, and uh, that extra height means he will just get onto those chances that others can't reach because he's bigger and he's because he's faster. And I can't wait to see how it looks because it could be genuinely fascinating. It could be, if it goes well, it could be an all-time great partnership, you know, so I'm, I can't wait, man. I can't wait. I, I think you're right. You know, Josh and I are obviously fans of teams that aren't going to compete for the title at all. So to see how Manchester City do, it, it will be interesting. Tell Would us a bit support? about, sorry, I support Villa. Ah, so okay. yeah, we okay. we obviously helped you win the title at the, at the end of last season. You can thank me later for that one. Um, let's look now at Julian Alvarez. Stephen, obviously they signed him in January. He, he, I'm going to be completely honest, I've not seen much of him. I'm presuming you've done some research and, and have watched yeah. him and know what he's about. How are you feeling about him? Yeah, obviously, I wasn't really paying attention to River Plate's games week in, week out. You know, I'd heard of the name because it's all, you know, Twitter mentions it or someone mentions he's good on football manager, that kind of stuff. And But I hadn't really paid any attention until City signed him. But obviously, being a City content creator, I then paid attention to him. And <laughs> he's like he's taken off since he signed for Man City to another level. He was already really good. But then he started doing things like scoring six in one game and getting another hat trick. Um, he looks unbelievably good. Obviously, there's the caveat that, you know, the, the step up from South America to the Premier League, many would say is the hardest league in the world, is just such a huge leap in quality. Um, we all know that South American strikers can do it in the Premier League. You know, City have had a few good ones themselves, you know. Um, uh, Aguero, Tevez, we'll ignore Mateus Vuosa, which probably no one's ever heard of. Uh, but people like, but like, he's in the exact right place to be a striker at Manchester City in terms of like the expectation on what he has to do is also really low, which is good because obviously we've got Haaland. He can come in, he can sit there, he can learn a little bit um, and he can take his time to adapt into the squad and obviously with five substitutions as well this season coming up, he's going to get plenty of game time. But in terms of his overall game, weirdly, He's more of a Guardiola striker than Haaland is. Like when you watch him, he he seems to be absolutely adept in dropping you know between the lines a little bit and linking up with people, creating stuff as well. And he reminds me more of Kane than Haaland does. You know, in terms of the way he's, he's happy to play the through balls and happy to link up with people. But this guy just looks so confident. Like the quality of his finishes, and the diverse the diverse nature of his finishes as well. Like lobbing it over someone or a little a little header at the near post or smashing it in from twenty yards in the top corner or just expertly expertly 
absolutely deadly in a one-on-one or then the little through ball to someone else like there's not many things more exciting for any team than a South American wonder kid coming in because they are just they are what we all love you know we, we all love to see that because that's the content that gets people excited and um, and obviously City fans have got a real emotional connection to Argentina for very obvious reasons Zabaleta you know uh, Guerrero Tevez and so on um, so I can't wait, man. I can't wait. He's obviously taking the Jesus role, you know, in terms of the squad position. And uh, and Jesus was not a bad, you know, wonder kid that we got from South America as well. He more than lived up to his price tag that City paid for him. Maybe he didn't quite adapt into the play we wanted him to be as the Aguero replacement. But I think we paid about 30 million for Jesus and he was worth it. Looking back, you know, absolutely. Yeah, so Alvarez for me, like, I can't wait. He's genuinely, I think City fans would probably be a lot more excited about Alves if we hadn't signed Haaland because, you know, he comes with such a big reputation and he comes as well uh, knowing how City play because Gallardo, you know, is a coach who is very, I think it's Gallardo, I'm pretty certain it is, someone's going to fact check me in the comments, but I'm pretty certain it is, he's a coach who plays a very similar style of football that Guardiola personally admires as well, so... He plays in a city kind of way. He's got pretty much everything to his game. He's just broken into the Argentinian team. Uh, he scored a load of goals. Seems to be pretty two-footed. Good turn of pace. Lively, intelligent. Uh, and a handsome man too as well. So uh, he advises me of a younger girl that way. He looks a bit like in Cladsy as well, actually, which is weird. Um, yeah, he just seems to be like the perfect package. <laughs> He's going to be uh, a very successful player, hopefully. Holding on to the ball is very strong. Obviously, Guardiola likes his players to be comfortable in possession. Passing very strong. Obvious reasons, Guardiola likes players that are good on the ball. Key passes are very strong. Guardiola obviously wants all his forwards to be able to create chances. Dribbling very strong in the right situations. That's very ideal. Um, through balls is strong. Um, as Stephen mentioned, he's very good at dropping deep. And the way City's forwards rotate, one will drop deep and one will go in behind. Obviously, someone that can play those through balls is obviously ideal. Long shots is strong. Perhaps won't see that too much under Guardiola, but obviously still good to have in your back pocket. And Crucially, his finishing is strong. I guess where people may may have said with Sterling and Jesus going going the other going to new clubs, I guess sometimes you might may have felt that, that let them down sometimes. But Alvarez comes; he was the top goal scorer in Argentina over the last two seasons. Um, obviously, as Stephen said, there's a massive jump up to make, and no one really knows how that's going to go. But Jesus was a couple of years younger, I think, as well, wasn't he, when he came to City? And he, he was 19, yeah, when he joined. Yeah, yeah. and he, he obviously had a great start when he first arrived. Um, in, our, in just back on more on who scored, we've only given out uh, six perfect 10 ratings in Argentinian football matches over the last two seasons. And Alvarez was responsible for four of them. So yeah, he, <laughs> he comes um, as someone that has absolutely smashed out the park in Argentina. And it's going to be fascinating. And, he, and as Stephen says, he does give Guardiola that option to go back to what we've seen in the last two seasons um, with that false nine sort of central striker. Um, and obviously the players that have been used there like Foden and Grealish, that's not really their natural game, whereas this is Alvarez's natural game. So it'll be fascinating to see how he'll settle in. And obviously the benefit is with Haaland, he can just be eased in. So there's no no real pressure on him to, to hit the ground running. Stephen, have the sales taken away from Manchester City's window a little bit? Is it taken the shine off Jesus Sterling and he's looking like Ake might go as well? Are you surprised by St- those sales? Um, yes and no. Sterling's the one for me, you know, that is taking a bit of gloss off it because Sterling, um, I think it is probably fair to say his form hasn't been at the levels that maybe, you know, a lot of people would like for the past couple of years from Man City. Like he's definitely dipped a little bit from 
between 17 to 19 seasons, you know, where he was absolutely electric and um, on the cusp of making him one of the you know, highest paid players in the game and so on. And um, I think his form dropped a little bit. But having said that, I've been always of the theory that he just needed a striker to play alongside. I don't think the false nine system suited him because, um, I mean, he got a little bit more scruffy in front of goal because the pressure was on him to become the goal scorer. And I, I think I don't think he naturally is that guy, you know, the guy to, uh, to be essentially the striker. And I think it led to him fluffing chances a little bit and again, a little bit more hesitant, maybe a little bit more self-doubt kicked in whereas you know if you've got Guerrero alongside you or Haaland in this instance doesn't matter if you miss a chance because they're going to score anyway probably which I think really alleviates a bit of pressure on him so I wanted him to stay for that reason I feel like back as a right winger uh, linking up with maybe Foden on the left and Harlan through the middle. I thought he was just a perfect lineup, you know, and I really wanted him to stay and, you know, break back into the team every single week because his game time did drop off massively, you know. I think it was his lowest ever start since he joined Man City last season. And I understand why he's wanted to move on with Jesus. It is what it is. I, 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 we made a profit on him and I think it was the right time for him so I wasn't too disappointed. I love the guy, don't get me wrong, you know, incredibly hard work and, and I think he does improve Arsenal quite a lot actually. Um, but he's had he's been here for an awful long time now. He literally joined during Guardiola's first season, you know, um, in the January transfer window. So um, we've seen an awful lot of Jesus and he's never quite, you know, become a first team starter. He's been always on the cusp of it but never quite made it. And with Haaland and Alvarez coming, I was like, okay, Jesus can move on. If Ake goes... Look, he's a fourth, he's a fourth choice centre back. Um, it's not great because I want him to stay. But if we make a small profit on Ake, and if we replace him, look, it's kind of it's much nothing really. I can't really complain too much. But Sterling is the one for me really. Um, I wanted him to stay because I think he'd be brilliant. Um, and I think maybe we lost a bit of that width as well and that pace that he brings because the wingers we've got now, they're all very similar. You know, and they'll all be inverted. You know, they'll all be coming in. Mares. Obviously, likes to cut in. There's a lot of talk that Cole Palmer, the young um, Withenshaw lad, he's going to play a lot this season. And I think he will do, and I hope he does, because I think he's brilliant. Um, and that's just not just fan bias. I think he's a really talented young player. Um, but he's a similar to Morris in terms of he cuts in on his left foot and so on. And obviously, having someone who can go wide and get to the byline when you've got a striker who's six foot five and just feeds off those tappings. We haven't got that option anymore, which is a bit of a shame. So we've lost options there. And we lost a bit, obviously, an awful lot of pace going forward as well. So for me, losing Sterling definitely has taken a little bit of the gloss off it. If we sign a replacement, that'd be good. But I don't think we're going to. On the face of it, if Man City have got 100 million for two players that could have left for free next season. So I think that's yeah. definitely a benefit. And I think I'd be interested to see how much money they would have got for Jay-Z's had he not scored those four goals against Watford. I think that was just perfect timing to sort of yeah, he had a good end to the season, didn't he? Yeah, and I think that, re- that really maybe bumped up his price a little bit, which is because if you look at Chelsea have paid a similar amount of money for Sterling than what Arsenal paid for Jesus, and Sterling is obviously a much better player. Um, so I think Chelsea will be delighted with that. But yeah, um, it's I think it, the, the fact that they've strengthened direct rivals, obviously Jesus is a perfect fit for Mikel Arteta at Arsenal, worked with him before at City, obviously. And Sterling is obviously was Tuchel's top priority this summer, as he's already said. So in that sense, it's probably not great, but I think you, you're, I think 100 million for those two players when they could walk away for nothing next summer is pretty good going. Let's finish this section then with our transfer window grade. Josh, I'll come to you first. What are you giving Manchester City? So I think Haaland, obviously, outrageous signing. Phillips replacing uh, old Fernandinho is just a massive bonus. Um, if you can sign Cucurella as your left-back, I think that would be excellent as well because I think you are very short at left back at the moment um, but then I do think that as we've just said I do think the sales just to direct rivals take a bit of shine off it so I've only gone for an A minus which is still really good but 
yeah, I don't think it's ideal that they've gone to Chelsea and Arsenal. Yeah, I think that's probably fair, actually. I mean, if we, if we do sign Cucurella, I think that's what City need. And then at that point, you're looking at, you know, A, A- minus or whatever, something like that. Because obviously, you know, the Sterling to Chelsea... Jay's used to Arsenal I don't think it's quite as big a deal because I think Alvarez more than replaces that you know and I think Haaland brings in what we never really got from Jesus anyway you know and Arsenal's going to say I don't think they're a title rival I think they're, they're a good team no. be, but I don't think they are there yet so but Chelsea are you know Chelsea even though they dropped off last season Chelsea are much more capable of challenging Man City than Arsenal are so that is obviously a blow especially if Ake goes there as well you know obviously it's, it's a lot to unfold so it's hard to say yet because you know it's only as we're recording this mid-July and who, who knows what City will do we could could sign Cucurella then decide sod it we're going in for Nabry you know and sign him and all of a sudden you're like wow that's a perfect transfer window you know in every single sense of the word um, we also brought in Ortega by the way he's a really good backup keeper and statistically one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga last year to challenge Edison so that's necessary and that was a good little signing as well but A- minus, I reckon I think that's probably fair actually don't know what the Ortega signing purely because he's got the number 18 shirt which is not a goalkeeping number at all I'm going to be a little bit harsh B plus for Manchester City. Is that the same thing? A, that, that, that does feel a touch harsh. I'll give Spurs an A, an a star, didn't I? The, the other day. Yeah, B plus, but that does feel a little bit harsh. I I've got some concerns, which is good because we're coming on to the concerns section. So I'll run a few of my concerns by you, Stephen. Numbers wise, I always felt City were one short in the front three positions last season. So technically, I suppose Holland has replaced Tezos. Alvarez mm-hmm. will replace Sterling. But then that still, for me, leaves them one short in those front three positions. W- would you agree with that? Well, we'll have, basically. The way it looks is it'll be Foden and Grealish kind of sort of on the left. It'll be, yeah, as you said, Haaland and Alvarez maybe as the strikers. And then it'll probably be Mares and Cole Palmer on the right. Uh, obviously, you know, we've got to probably consider that Bernardo Silva can play on the right and probably yeah. will play on the right every now and then given the fact that Calvin Phillips is here to probably do the Bernardo job alongside Rodri every now and then I, I honestly think we might see a little bit more than that than we realise I think Bernardo will jump over there and yeah we possibly are one short I mean I mean he's been very critical that sorry it is being very well, critical that from the yeah, yeah I mean it is, it is we are probably in an ideal world a little bit short but at the same time you could say I'd rather have one winger less than no strikers um, yeah. I think I would rather have like I personally I think I I think this the balance is better even if it is more short in one place because it was really lopsided you know we were playing we were still always trying to find obviously Jay Z was sort of is a striker but but he said that he wanted he considered himself a winger <laughs> now he said he's considered himself a striker again he had a bit he didn't know what he was really and even though he sort of was I think he is a striker he just didn't want to really play that city very often which is strange but I actually think it's probably more balanced but maybe still a bit short so. I, I I think it's at least level for what it was in terms of quality. Um, and I guess the way I look at it is, are we going to be able to recreate, if not improve on the output of the forwards? And I actually probably think we probably will do. Yeah, uh, I do think um, Haaland uh, and Alvarez are much better finishers than the two players that they've replaced in terms of Sterling and Jesus. Um, obviously, they can't do everything that those two players did. And Jesus is probably our hardest working player in a big game which is really crucial when you're playing against Chelsea Liverpool and he was excellent against those teams this year Sterling are liveliest and of course Sterling great for assists and goals as well um but then yeah, maybe we don't need to create as many chances maybe just Haaland become one a goal every two chances as opposed to a goal every three four chances at City so 
Bit short on the right, maybe, but obviously I can't prove it. I'm really excited by Cole Palmer. He's literally one of the most exciting young players I've seen in a long time. Don't sleep on him. I think he's going to really surprise people. Um, he was on the cusp of breaking into the first team last season, and season until he got a really long injury, and he played about eight, nine games until his injury in January. And if he hadn't, I think he would have played 20 games last season, and people would be a lot more excited by him. We'll see. Yeah, he scored I think in Champions good. League as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He scored on his debut Champions League, FA Cup, um, League Cup as well, I think. So he's a finisher. I think um, what's going to be really important this season to offset the departures of Sterling and Jesus while Alvarez settles and obviously Haaland and City adapt to each other is that I think Jack Grealish's output really needs to improve this season. Yeah, um, I agree. He obviously he, he only scored, he scored as many goals and registered as many assists as Joel Matip last season, which obviously isn't ideal for someone that you spent £100 million on. Um, and while... I think Guardiola would probably say he was happy with the way Grealish played. We've, I said it numerous times last season. It did feel a bit of a shame that the handbrake was on Grealish. Uh, it just did seem like he was playing very safe, and I think that was probably the role he was asked to, to play. But he definitely needs to score more goals, particularly in the first half of the season, while the new players settle in and the new style of play is um, is sort of worked out. But yeah, I, I do think that um, yeah, Grealish it ha- has to improve that sort of output, and I think. Last season, I think we were all waiting for Grealish to have that big moment and it seemed like it was going to be in that semi-final against Real Madrid when somehow neither of his two chances at the end went in. So yeah, I think he's still he's still waiting for that big moment and for him personally, it needs to come quite early on this season. The amount of chances he's created last season and I know because obviously watched City week in, week out that City just wasted. Like his expected assists was higher than his assists um, yeah. and it, it was it was notably higher and I, I, I think he'll be a lot... Uh, I think I think he'll improve this season. And towards the end of the season as well, he did start to take a few more risks. He was running at people a lot more, and especially unlucky against Real Madrid, for example, with that incredible, so unlucky with those two chances that you know made off the line, and then uh, I think he hit the post with another one as well. Like I think mean, I think he I think he will go up a level this year, and I do think. Um, he could also be a bit of beneficiary as well of having Haaland, like many are, because yeah. people like Haaland, they, they they just take players away from other people. Like if you're two six foot two three strike, uh, sorry, centre backs, you're not going to really stick to Phil Foden or Bernardo or Grealish as a false nine because they don't have the movement, they don't have the presence. Where if if Haaland's in the middle, they are both paying attention to him because you have to because he's Erling Haaland, you know and. I think that's the thing I'm excited about is the space that people like Haaland will create for other people because they have to, you know, they have to stick around him because he's taller, he's faster, he's more alert. He's he, you have to be sharper on him because once again you take the chances better. So I'm hoping there's more space and if we City do sign Cucurella as well, you know, a natural overlapping fullback will really, really play into. Grealish's game as well and Zinchenko actually showed a tiny bit of that on the last day of the season in particular against Aston Villa where he decided oh, yeah, to go into the best game of his career against Aston Villa he started, yeah he started so to start drip. it's mad because when we signed Zinchenko I did a video for an old YouTube channel it was on like six years ago and I remember saying like he, he signed as a winger he could actually dribble at people but he, he played as a utility left back once in his career and like he actually like unlocked that old winger trait that he had as an 18 year old again he started dribbling people so if Zinchenko if, if Zinchenko stays and starts doing that again or, or could Corella starts overlapping, then Greenish it really helps because he's not running into two or three players. You know, there's one player to run into that as opposed to two or three. So there's loads of little tweaks like that I think could really help someone like Greenish. Or maybe he's the beneficiary of the double pivot. You know, maybe he plays through the middle every now and then gets a bit more space. So yeah. I think it's going to be an interesting season for Greenish. But um, I do think we'll see an upturn, mainly because he's got the players around him to help it in terms of his output. So we'll see. Quick word on injuries, Stephen, of, of the new players. Phillips and Horland have obviously had injuries over the last <clears> couple of seasons. Is, is their injury record a concern at all? Because if you make these big signings and suddenly they get a long-term injury, 
again, you might look a little bit short. I am hopeful it won't be as big a deal simply because Dortmund and Leeds both have really bad injury records as well. Not just for Phillips and Haaland, they do. Um, Leeds in particular, I know a couple of Leeds fans relative close to them. They're like, yeah, we just get back as soon as we can do. And I think there's a lot of pressure on Phillips to play and essentially save Leeds at times because he was by far you know, their best midfielder. So um, he's not going to have to play as much, you know. Um, he will get a rest if he needs to. We've got, obviously, quality. You know, Gundogan can step in if we need a backup six after Rodri. And, you know, I, I think there'll be a lot more time for him to heal and not be forced back. And I think it's the same with Haaland. Like, the amount of muscle injuries at Dortmund, I was speaking to like a, a Bundesliga uh, reporter on one of my videos and he was saying Dortmund are really famous for muscle injuries because obviously the way they play and the rushing plays back a little bit. Um, I, it could be that they carry on. I'm hoping that they don't because once again, there is options and we don't need to, need to play every single game. There's also the element as well that I, I do think the injuries for Haaland... Probably, it probably doesn't help that he grew about five inches in about three years. You know, he literally shot up. It's crazy when you look at him as a 19-year-old to, to what he is now. He's got so much bigger, you know, taller as well. Um, so I, I think there's an element of him growing there, some growing pains. But uh, we'll see. It could be the injuries that are a concern. But I think City's physios look at it and go, we always presume, by the way, that physios don't think they can do better than other physios. You know the way the coaches go, yeah, oh, I can play that part of his game. But physios, like City will have very good physios and very good facilities, you know. So I think they'll probably have better facilities than Leeds, of all due respect, probably better facilities than Dortmund because we've got that new state-of-the-art complex over the past 10 years. And I, I do think City's physios will go, well, maybe this is what they're doing wrong, you know, with each player. Maybe we need to change, you know, uh, certain parts of, uh, this, the way they run or something like that or the way that they, they recover and so on uh, maybe it's a dietary thing you know it will help uh, muscle recovery or something like that but obviously it's a concern but we don't need them to play every game which I think was the, probably an issue for Dortmund and Leeds so we'll see Let's move on now to the best 11 Manchester City's best 11 I mean the last two we've done Josh kind of not picked themselves but I think we all <laughs> had a good idea of the best 11 of Liverpool and the best 11 of Spurs Manchester City, it is a bit it is a bit more difficult. What who scored gone with? So obviously we've got Edison in goal, obviously there's no debating that, although Ortega perhaps could challenge him or at least it will probably push him on even to become even better. Um, because it's not quite clear cut yet whether Cucurella will join. Um we've left him out of this team. So we've got Cancelo at right back, uh, and it's Inchengo at left back, helped when he turned into Messi against Villa. Um so there's no Carl Walker there. Uh, I've actually always wanted to see Zinchenko play in that mid midfield role that he does for Ukraine really well, but we've only seen that. I think I think we saw that once last season. Um, but yeah, we've got centre back. We've got Ruben Diaz and John Stones, which is a bit harsh on Laporte because Laporte was a monster at the end of last season and basically played what seemed like with one leg for the last few games. Uh, we've got no Calvin Phillips in midfield. Obviously, a very injury hit season last year. Uh, the midfield three is Rodri, De Bruyne, and Bernardo Silva. Um, on the left, we've got Phil Foden. Uh, Julian Alvarez, we've actually got on the right. I think he can play there. Maybe he will play there a couple of times. Uh, he, he arrives with just a monster who scored rating uh, from Argentina. Obviously, that doesn't necessarily translate to what it will be in the Premier League. Uh, and then with Erling Haaland's up front, I don't think there's any any debate about that. Kyle Walker plays every big game he's available for Man City. He just does. Um, and it's not because he's the most technical player. It's because... Look, he, he, there's no person in world football who's capable of shutting down one side of the pitch better than Kyle Walker, literally. I mean, I've never seen Kylian Mbappe not challenge someone to a foot race before. Um, and Neymar giving the ball back to the fullback or whatever. So for me, Kyle Walker starts. Um, even if I understand the logic behind it, I, I, I think he's cancer. If, if we get Cucurella, maybe we'll see a change there. But 
he obviously hasn't joined yet. So it's Edison for me. Cancelo will start at left back. I'd love to see Zinchenko, but it'd be Cancelo. Kyle Walker will be a right back. Pet would start Laporte and Diaz, I reckon, because because Cancelo is right-footed. So he always likes a left-footer on that side, just for the diagonal and so on. Um, I really like Stones and Diaz together, personally. Um, but for balance, yeah, I think that's the I think they're the best centre-back partnership. Um, so if we get Kukurela, it'll be Stones and Diaz more, because when Zinchenko was playing in the team, um, he was Stones and Diaz a lot. But for this one with Cancelo, it's going to be Laporte, Laporte and Diaz and Walker. Then same midfield, which is the best midfield in the country, um, in my personal opinion, Rodri, Bernardo, Kevin De Bruyne. And then I think, obviously, um, Alvarez, I want him to be there, but for now, it'd be, it'd be Mares just because you know he's, he's proven at this level. And Alvarez is going to have to sit, I think, and watch and learn a little bit with Foden as well on the left, which I'm excited to see, by the way, because Foden played a lot last year season as a winger where... I think his breakout season was the year before when he was playing. Sorry, last season he played lots of false nine, whereas his breakout season was as a winger. You know, the year before, especially in the Champions League when he was electric. So I want to see Foden on the left again, Haaland, and then he's probably going to be Mares for the big games. Let's now look at the one player to watch. We're all going to pick a player from Manchester City to watch out for this season. Josh, who've you gone for? Aided by the Who Scored algorithm. Well, I've actually gone against it. I've actually gone against it because he didn't make it into our best eleven team. But I've actually gone for Riyad Mahrez. I think with Stop doing Sterling. this, Josh. You keep you keep picking people who aren't. So you picked Ryan Sessegnon for Spurs. He wasn't in the best <laughs> eleven, and you've done it again. I just think with Jesus leaving and Sterling leaving, I think that really frees up the right-hand side for Riyad Mahrez. And I think he could become a real star of this team this season. That's not to say that he hasn't been valued in the past, but he, you can't deny that he has been used fleetingly by Guardiola. I think he's only started just over 50% of all Premier League matches since he joined. Um, but if you actually take away substitute appearances, so if we're looking at who scored ratings from starts alone, since in the time that he joined Manchester City, he's the second top-rated player in the whole division. Um, only Kevin De Bruyne has a better who scored rating from starts than Mares. With there being no Jesus, no Sterling, I think Mares is going to play more and more on that right-hand side. And I think we could even see him reach the levels that he showed at Leicester when they won the title. And he scored 17 goals and got 11 assists that season. And I think we could really see something similar again. I, I'm, he's one of my favourite players to watch. I just think the way he takes the ball down, his his skill, the way he can beat a man, I just love everything about it. And I think, yeah, he's my one to watch for this season. I'm going to go Jack Grealish for the reasons I mentioned earlier. I think usually players have a better second season at City under Pep. I know how good he is. With Sterling gone, I think he'll probably get more football than he did last season. And I think he, he's just ready. I, I feel like he'll, he'll, he'll mean business this season. He'll come back. He'll be sharp. And I just think Jack Grealish is such a good footballer. And I think he'll, mate, he'll show that he was worth £100 million this season. Stephen, who are you picking? Mainly because I think he's going to explode this season in a good way. I think Phil Foden, um, like he last season, he was kind of sort of the sacrificial lamb for the team. You know, doing the the dirty work as the false nine, but still had a decent season and won Young Player of the Year. But I don't think he was as good or at least as memorable as the season before. And I feel like this season he's going to be back to where he's at his best, facing the goal. You know, running at people and dribbling and. Um, I think Foden could go up a level, you know, to uh, to show exactly just how good he is. Like, I feel he could be the driving force a little bit creatively and dropping a little bit deeper, pinging those passes, creating and scoring an absolute ton of goals and running at people again, which I can't wait because he was driven a lot less last season because he had to be back to the goal constantly against giant centre-backs. So I'll probably say Foden. Lovely. All chose three different people. Always works well for a podcast. We'll finish then with the expectation for the 22-23 season. I think City will win the league. I'll go there. That's my answer. That That's done. And I know they'll be desperate 
to win the Champions League, but I think they are the strongest team in the Premier League. I think they'll win the league, and I don't think it will be as close as it was last season. Josh? I think the City, unfortunately, going to win the league again, but I actually I don't think that uh, City and Liverpool are going to get as close to the 100-point mark this season. I think Tottenham have really improved. I think Chelsea, well, I was concerned for Chelsea, um, but now they're obviously really kicked into gear with some signings. So I think those four teams are going to, well, Chelsea and Tottenham are going to be a lot better this season. So I don't think it's going to be as dominant in terms of the points totals that City and Liverpool rack up. But I do think now that City have the greater flexibility with the signing of Phillips and obviously they've got Erling Haaland, I do think it's hard to go against City for the title. Yeah, I think City are going to win the league. Um, I think I don't think that I think the the, the starting eleven has probably got better. Um, I think we've we've probably solved uh, the the couple of very very big problems that we have, and maybe if we get Cucurella as well, we've solved essentially every problem that maybe we have in terms of the gaps left back, backup DM, you know, a striker or two, you know, that we needed. So I'm probably going to say, yeah, I think City will win the league, and and what I'm really hoping is that. You know, it's probably going to be a bit easier for us to score goals because, as good as City are, like we had to force it a little bit because we weren't natural finishers in the team. You know, um, so I'm hoping, yeah, it becomes we win games a little bit easier at times. So I say City to win the league, and I do think we're going to be close in the Champions League again. We'll see. Thank you very much, Tim, and a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks ever so much for coming on and talking to us. And and don't forget. If, if, especially if you're a Man City fan, if you haven't watched Dave's channel, Esteemed Company, go and do that and subscribe to his YouTube channel. So that's Liverpool, Spurs and now Manchester City ticked off for the Edge of the Box podcast. We've got Chelsea on Monday and then Arsenal towards the end of the week. So get your notifications on and subscribe to our channel as well so you know when those videos are coming out. Thanks to Josh as ever for chatting to me as well. And as I say, we'll be back on Monday. Only one thing left to say, stay safe. Stay safe.